I think what made us successful or gave us the ability to compete was our commitment to collaboration, to relationship, execution, and then knowing we had the best product pipeline. Welcome to Bridges to Excellence podcast. Inspired leadership in payments and fintech, bringing you conversations with payments' most fascinating people on top of their game. Leaders, influencers, experts, and innovators. Each weekly episode turns our guests' wisdom into practical advice. Their personal journeys are meant to inspire and challenge you to explore your possibilities. Here is your host, Desmond Nicholson. In this episode, part of our Founders series, we're talking to Scott Dowdy, Executive Chairman and Founder of Passport Technology. Passport is a casino payments technology and SaaS platform, achieving in selected markets market share dominance across the globe. Scott is here to take us on his entrepreneurial journey, the good and the bad, including current initiatives as he positions the company on its successful continuum for growth. And of course, along the way, he'll be sharing with us insightful, actionable takeaways. Scott, welcome to our show, and thanks for being here. Thank you, Desmond. Nice to hear your voice again after many years, and glad to be on. Great. Now, first, tell us about your role at Passport Technology, a day in the life of the executive chairman. And then yeah. we rewind and talk about your journey and milestones along the way that brought you to where you are today. Sure. Good. Yeah. So founder, executive chairman of, as you said in your intro, we process payment transactions, loyalty, AML, casino automation, all these types of technologies and brick and mortar casinos around the world, Europe, UK, Canada, and across the United States. So for me, it really involved day to day from an actionable perspective, but I do obviously consult with the C-suite daily just on overall strategy, kind of lessons learned. I've been in payments for what, 25 years now. So I've got a lot of things to kind of lean back on, but really I'm, I'm coaching. I'm providing a lot of strategy. We're in a very competitive business, very strategic business, very highly regulated business. So I, I think I spend most of my time just brainstorming with my executive team and really getting the creative juices flowing in terms of you know, developing strategy, tactical plans, and then execution. Okay. So let's dive in and start with your backstory, where you grew up and what your life was like when you were growing up. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in Canada, Vancouver, BC, Canada, moved to Edmonton, Alberta. I think I was four or five years old. That's Northern Alberta, just above Montana. And I spent 20 years in Toronto before I moved to Las Vegas, but kind of growing up in Edmonton, kind of like a Northern Texas type vibe, very cold, long winters, oil-based. It was an oil-based economy back then. Oh, parents got divorced when I was, I think five or six. All three of the kids chose to go with my mother. So when you talk about my childhood, I was certainly what was Important to note is single mother households back then were not that common. We're talking 50 years ago. So grew up in a, in a oh, single mother household with three kids, 
struggling. It's all relative how people struggle, of course, around the world. They're from where I came from, not have a lot of money, broken home. So I think that whole thing, as I look back on my life and I reflect on my entrepreneurial spirit and goals and what drove me, a lot of it came from the fact that you was from a broken family, you didn't have a lot of money, you relied on yourself. And I think, I think I draw on those days a lot. Even in my years now, I think about those days and what it meant to me and the challenges you faced. Um, and I think a lot of that kind of really built who I was today and obviously over the last few decades. So, and then moved to Toronto when I was 19, started my entrepreneurial days there. Uh, and then I got into the corporate world as well in my later twenties. Okay. There's a lot more to unpack there if you want to. <laughs> okay. We'll get into more. I promise you. <laughs> I'm curious, what was your favorite subject in high school? Well, full transparency. I was not a good student. My mind was adrift and wondering and in, in school. I, but I do think my favorite, oddly enough, you probably, you probably asked this question before, but oddly enough, my favorite subject was always geography. Just because it was straightforward, simple, I could understand it. It interested me in terms of kind of the world and what the world was all made up of and kind of the opportunity this world might present. Other than that, I didn't, that was probably the only sub I actually had an affinity for back in the, in, in the early days. Okay. So how did you get into the payments industry and what factors led you to the casino game in space? So when I was in Toronto, I'll give you a bit of backstory here. Sure. I started my first company when I was 20, I call it a company called Canadian Ice. I built my own line of skin products for men. It was called Canadian Ice. And at the time I was bartending at night and during the day and going to college. So I started this business called Canadian Ice. Obviously a couple of years of struggling, you know, paying for stuff, selling personal items, working, getting tips to pay for the, you know, development of these products. They, they were skin supplies for men, toners, conditioners, these sort of things. And did quite well. Uh, by the time I was 23, 24, I got a lot of national recognition in Canada. I was distributing my products across the country. I was exporting some products as well and, and did quite well with that. At the same time, as I was bartending every night, just down the street was American Express head office for Canada, their headquarters. And I could recall many days a week, all the executives would come over to the bar who I would serve all from American Express. They were nicely dressed with suit and tie. And, you know, I could overhear them talking about their business or travels and just the payments business in general. I was obviously very curious. I asked questions about it. So over a course of several years, getting to know these guys, I, I kind of got a feel for what they were doing in payments. Meanwhile, I was still building this business. Long story short, I ended up uh, selling Canadian Ice when I was about 27. I sold the, the brand to a very large Canadian brewery and I sold all the assets to a, a company from Korea. So did very well with that, relatively speaking. And then just in getting to know these guys at Amex, I said to myself, you know what? 
I've been an entrepreneur for many years now. I've learned a lot, been through a lot. Maybe I should give myself a shot in this corporate world. And at the same time, there was an opportunity that someone had pr provided me to uh, apply for a sales role at CIBC Card Product, which was a large bank in their merchant services division. So I went and applied for it and I got the job. That's how I started my, my days. And that was in 1996. Very impressive. Let me just backtrack here regarding the Canadian ICE uh, company that you founded. I'm looking at the Toronto Star, Monday, October 28, 1991 <laughs> edition. Yeah. That's, yeah. Really going, that's really going way back. And here it says, Old school. yep. And here it says, big gamble, Scott Dowdy, 23 years old at that time, yeah. has sunk more than $40,000 to develop his Canadian ice skin cleanser and toner for men. Yeah. He's promoting the products in the store of retailer Harry Rosen, who liked the young man's determination. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's very yeah. impressive. Entrepreneurs have a fire that burned their belly. Mm -hmm. And I can remember when I was seven years old, I got a three-speed bike for my birthday, which really wasn't what I wanted. I wanted one of those BMX bikes that had the spring in the middle. And I remember taking apart the bike, selling it for parts at seven years old and then buying the bike I wanted. So I've had this entrepreneurial spirit from when I was very, very young. And Harry Rosen was, uh, he passed away now, but is a icon in Canada. And I can remember going to his office and, you know, back then there was no email, no, no cell phones, nothing. I could relate. It was a call. It was, it was a cold call to his office and his secretary said he was not in today or he may not be in today. And I said, well, that's fine. If you don't mind, I'll just wait in the front office until he comes. So I really need to meet him. Determination. Determination. So, you know, and that's why he says determination is because that's how I got in to see him. And, you know, it was a, it was a real eye-opening experience because I was completing college, attempting to complete college, which I did finish after seven years. But as I was going to college, Desmond, I had 20 employees, chemists, salespeople, marketing people, working in my small factory, developing all these products, shipping all these products. I was still working as a bartender to help fund this business. And I can remember days where I didn't have the money to make payroll, but families depended on me, to provide them their salaries every two weeks or they couldn't put food on the table. So I remember funding salaries through cash advances on my credit cards, selling personal items and all these sorts of things. So as I look back on my career now and why I've been able to be quite successful, especially in stressful or highly competitive events is because those days back when, where I, I think I had my first nervous breakdown or my only nervous breakdown when I was 26, during these times where I had a challenge to fund our employees. Those are the types of character building situations when you're young that last with you for a lifetime and really benefit you because those are just events you don't ever, ever find when you become a corporate employee. It's never that bad. That's transformative indeed, isn't it? It is. It is. What is the mission of Passport Technology? And why is a company like Passport an asset to the payment space? 
our mission. So we're a, we're a smaller player. We're probably the fourth largest player in our space in the United States. We've got maybe five, six percent market share. I would say that we've got the greatest depth and breadth of product in terms of providing all the payments and automation and loyalty service that we do to brick and mortar casinos. I think our mandate, Desmond, is that when I talk to my people, I say there should be no instance, whether it's an email, a meeting, a install, a training session, there is no instance where we shouldn't be saying to ourselves and our team, we need to exceed the expectations of our customers. Meeting them isn't good enough. I want them to walk away and go, you know what? These guys were so good. They exceeded all of our expectations. So our mandate is to bring collaboration and relationship to the next level. I always tell my people, and, and Desmond, you know this from being in payments. Payments isn't easy. When you're installing complex technology that's driven by communications, by loyalty, and all these different systems, desperate systems that come together, they're never either. But when you go to your customers and you kind of encapsulate our mandate to exceed expectations, collaborate, provide a plan, when you do all that, and when these installs don't kind of go the way they should, your customers will always help pick you up, dust you off, and make it good. So I think our mandate that Desmond is exceed customer expectations. And when we fall, we fall together as a partnership and grow. And, and that's really how we've done really well as a company that we've always collaborated. We've always been transparent on our plan, on our strengths, on our weaknesses. And by doing that, I think your customer always gives you the benefit of the doubt. And that's a big reason for our success beyond what I think is the best depth and breadth and product. Good. So tell us about some of the major hurdles you encountered in getting Passport off the ground and how you feel it strengthened Passport's technology as a company. Well, you know, we're a small player, right? So we're, we're a small player in a highly regulated industry. I think our industry is the second most highly regulated in the United States outside of national defense. Because our technology touches the casino management system, slot systems, gaming systems, every state we go into is you have to be licensed. All the executives, people who own a certain amount of shares in the company have to be licensed with the state. So it's highly regulated. So the barriers to entry are high. The investment required, and think about it, Desmond, like what we do in brick and mortar gaming, i.e. payments, I believe is probably the most sophisticated form of payments in the payment space. We're talking ATM, we're talking check, debit, credit, we're talking digital wallets, we're talking loyalty, casino automation. We're doing more from a payments perspective than I think any other industry is. So it's highly sophisticated. The bar to entry is massive in terms of technology, know-how, regulation, licensing, and being a small player as we are, we don't have, say, the resources of the larger players. So our biggest challenge has been making those inroads. And the way we did it was we started off in the UK where we had relationships and we had a clear guide on new technologies we knew would win the day. 
We executed there. We won a majority of market share very quickly. We then went to Canada, did the same thing. Uh, and then through COVID, we obviously grew into the United States. So, so the small company in a highly regulated space that requires a lot of resources, I think what made us successful or gave us the ability to compete was our commitment to collaboration, to relationship, execution, and then knowing we had the best product pipeline. Good. As you know, the path of an entrepreneur is not all rainbows and unicorns, right? Oh, no. Take us, take us to that moment in time of what you would consider your worst entrepreneurial moment and tell us the story. Oh yeah. No, I, I kind of already referenced that one. It really, I was 25 or 26 in Toronto. I was financing this company. We just got a big, huge order from a large Canadian retailer. I had 20 or 22 people on staff. I was working at night at the bar, making tips to help fund this business. I remember selling assets to make payroll, to buy supplies. And it got super, very, very stressful for a number of months because I didn't have the money. And again, back then we're talking 20 or we're talking, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, I literally at 25 or 26, I, I believe I had a nervous breakdown, hair started falling out, couldn't sleep. And it was because I felt I had so much pressure on me for having all these employees at a very young age and feeling responsible to them and their families to make sure they get paid. Everybody got paid, but you know, I had to leverage every line of credit, every credit card I ever had. I sold many personal belongings to facilitate it. And again, that was a moment as an entrepreneur that you dread, but once you go through it, the confidence it builds is immeasurable. That's the downside. That was your low point. Now there yeah. gotta be a high point. Okay. Take us to that moment in time of that incredible ha ha moment and tell us that yeah. story. Well, yeah, the last thing about being an entrepreneur is that you, you create an idea in between your ears and your mind and you bring it to fruition. So Canadian nights, I'll just, I'll expand on this one a little bit. Now between, I guess I was 20 to 25 when I started Canadian nights, I sold it for some money. Um, which is great. I immediately, I started a new company called So Popular. It was the first alcohol-free hand sanitizer. And that was right before the bird flu. Remember H1N1, the bird flu came out Absolutely. years ago. I started that company right after So Popular, which was kind of similar. It was cosmetics, it was HBA, it was health and beauty aid. And I had experience there. Did quite well with that as well. I ended up selling it right before the bird flu came out. So I didn't get the benefit of the massive sales, but I sold it for a good profit. And I had that business as I had just started working at CIBC card products. So throughout my corporate career, I've all had a side hustle because as an entrepreneur, I needed that. So Soul K and I started so popular. It was sold around the world, including the United States. Did really well. I sold that. And I just started in the, in the merchant processing world for CIBC. And after that, I started another one called Earthstrom, but I won't get into that. But the aha moment was once you do this once, you know, and you go through the, the, the pains and the pleasures and success and failures of being an entrepreneur, 
it gets easier. It gets really easier. So the aha moment there is I went through a corporate career between 1996 at CIBC. I went to work at First Data between 2000 and 2004. Then I went to Global Cash Access in 2004 to 2014 in Las Vegas. The aha moment is those trials and tribulations as an entrepreneur made it very easy for me to survive and succeed in the corporate world because there was nothing they could ever throw at me in the corporate world that would ever compare to the stress I put myself through as an entrepreneur. I think you've answered the next question, and that was, and that is rather, how have your prior experience at companies like CIBC, First Data, Card Connect, Global Cash Access, so Popular, and Canadian Ice International shaped how you approach your role today at Passport? Yeah. So beyond the entrepreneurial battles, entrepreneur fight every day, I did get into, when I was at First Data from 2024, I won't mention names. You might even know who I'm talking about because I know you, you know the folks over there. But I was reporting to an individual out of New York. And this, this was really my second corporate world, uh, job, but my first job working for an American company. American companies are much different than Canadian companies, much more aggressive, demanding, and which is great. But I remember for three years, Every day speaking to my boss, who was out of New York, and this man was so demanding, so unrelentless in his desire to be successful and to make his direct report successful, that it was incredibly difficult for people to succeed under his leadership, and many didn't. But for me, I felt like this was such a blessing. Because I was going to prove this guy that I could be the guy that when he called, he doesn't have to ask, ask me those questions because I'm already giving him the answers. So this went on for three years. Oh, I worked, as many people do, many, many hours, much more than five days a week, much more than eight hours a day. But I can tell you that at the end of those four years, when I left First Data, when this, my manager had his team calls weekly. And when he got to me, he goes, don't even, don't even worry about Scott. He's got it. And what he put me through, and I appreciated that he did, prepared me for my days at Global Cash Access, Card Connect, and even Passport. Because the level of discipline that I acquired from a corporate perspective that I didn't have as an entrepreneur the level of discipline, detail, forethought that he made me, he required of me, positioned me at a level that no one else at any other company I went to had, honestly. So the combination of having that entrepreneurial spirit, being through those trials and tribulations that you do as an entrepreneur, but then getting the fine tiering coaching, sometimes with a bat up against your head at first data. The combination of that paired me to be what I think was a, a really good corporate executive from 2014 on. Great. Now, when you have a very competitive market, people figure out innovative ways to differentiate. What in your product suite offers that is 
that kind of differentiation that benefits your client at Passport? Right. So that's a good question, Desmond. The thing we did was, and it's just another aha moment, is that we, we were the first to say, hey, rather than fear gaming regulators and gaming commissioners and like social, a, a big thing in our business is social responsibility. Like people have gambling problems and these sort of things. We said, instead of fearing these sort of things, because our job is to put cash on the floor, as much cash on the floor as you can so people can gamble. We said, instead of fearing these sort of things, why don't we, as we go to the UK and Europe and Canada, for example, why don't we meet with the gaming commissioners first as we develop our product and ask them, what would they like to see from our product? Knowing that we put maximum cash on the floor through debit cards, credit cards, check, et cetera. And they were in fact very receptive of that. And they gave us ideas and thoughts. We bounced ideas off them. So when we did that, we incorporated things like the ability for a customer to opt out on our system in real time. If they didn't want to use a credit card anymore, they could actually restrict that credit card in real time. So they could never use it again on our system, say for a month, six months or a year. We also did things like uh, developing technology where based on the size of the transaction, the origin of the card, whether it was domestic or international, we'd had dynamic pricing based on card type, transaction size, country of origin, or if the customer was a known VIP or not. So as an example, those two real-time functions, the ability for someone to opt out and say, you know what? I don't want to gamble anymore on this card. I spent too much money. That was all about social responsibility. And the ability to offer dynamic pricing, for example, the operators really loves because not every customer has the same value to them. So when we went to the customers and said, hey, listen, we've already bought the gaming commission. They actually love what we're doing. And these are some of the things we incorporated. You know, they, they, would, they would give us the applause and then the whole dynamic pricing thing was just right up their alley. So those types of innovative ideas that might seem simple now, nobody was even thinking about. And those are the reasons why we won success in the UK, Europe, and Canada. And we are now the first to do in the United States as well. So collaboration with the authorities is definitely key. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which leads me to the next Passport has recently been in the news as an official finalist for multiple gaming awards, namely the Compliance Payment Service Award and also the Solution Provider of the Year Award. Explain the significance of these awards and most importantly, what is it about your company's culture that contributes to this recognition? Yeah. We've actually won several awards over the last few years, and I think our C-suite team does a good job in that we're always trying to ensure that competitive and creative juices are flowing. So I have this thing, I always want to be looking over my back to see what, you know, I always feel like there's someone watching us, someone catching up to us. So what can we do to stay ahead of the pack? I think it's important, especially from a compliance perspective. We won several compliance awards over the last few years. This idea of always staying in touch with the regulatory authorities, the gaming commissions, and developing your product in a socially responsible manner. So you're not just driving 
commercial application to drive revenue, but you're also thinking about the community around you. You're thinking about you know, where this industry is going. And I think that alone really gets these associations who offer these awards excited because you know, we're, we're collaborating, not just with our customers, but all stakeholders. So, so we do that. But I think most importantly is we've got some people in our, in our company that are highly, highly intelligent, know the space well. And some of the things we're doing, it's just no one else has done in the past. I'll give you an example. What I like to call the holy grail in payments, especially for resorts and casinos, is the ability for a casino operator to track value a customer throughout the resort on every transaction they make. So they're playing blackjack at a blackjack table. They go to a slot machine. They go to the spa. They go to the steakhouse. They go to the pool and order a bottle at the cabana. They do all of these things. No one's ever been able to track all of these transaction mix then aggregate it up to a portal where the casino, for example, could say, okay, well, they're, this is their gaming play. Oh, they're going to show here. They're buying food here. They've gone to Chanel store over here. Aggregate the data and then reward them and send them, acknowledge them in real time. In real time. This is what Passport is doing, for example, at Fountain Blue, which is the largest casino that's opening here on the Strip in, in December. Passport is essentially the heartbeat of the entire resort. And it's through our Origins API and our Lush loyalty platform that every transaction in the resort will be aggregated through our technology to give the casino a view, a unique view on that customer as it relates to everything they do in the resort and provide incentives, rewards, recognition. That to me is a holy grail of payments and at least this space that no one's ever been able to achieve and Passport will be the first to do it. And we've done it through collaborating with partners, having really creative people on our team and just through execution. What are some of Passport's growth initiatives for the next year? So the last two years, we spent a lot of time and money resources on product. In fact, probably more than we should have because we, we should have been out selling more, but we've been developing all these great products. So I think because our market share literally in the United States is maybe five or 6%, we've got green space to grow for the next you know, many, many years. We also have a very good, robust pipeline as well of products. So I think the focus the next year or two, Desmond, is simply sales. We've got all these great products. We now, do, we now need to become a known player in the space. We already are known, but we need to become a much bigger piece of the pie. So it's going to come down to building a sales force, a bigger sales force, you know, and sensing them properly and really making sure that when there's an RFP out there or someone in procurement's making a decision on any product we have, that our name is on the list. That has got to be our goal. Good. What are you most excited about Passport's future? I'm most excited about is our people and the opportunities that they're going to have to like position herself for career growth. Um, I think the ideas they have that are coming to fruition, just like the one I talked about at Fountain Blue. I think as we make progress on this 
new product suites. It is absolutely game changing, not just for casinos, by the way. This is relative to sporting facilities. It's relative to hotels that are non-gaming. It's relative to any large company. So I think I'm most excited about our ability to develop an ecosystem of payments that's driven by loyalty for the gaming space, but also beyond, because it's something that I believe is absolutely game-changing and is transformative to payments. I think we're on the verge of transforming payments in that what I like to say is, you know, one thing I'll say, Desmond, I always still hear about Omnicommerce this, Omnicommerce that. I'm like, I was writing articles in Omnicommerce nine years ago. That's like yesterday's technology. What we're doing now is driving payments through loyalty in real time. And I think that business model isn't just gaming specific. It can be across the board. So we're very excited about that. Okay. Let's switch up somewhat, getting more into the personal. What role does mentorship play in your career? Does any one person come to mind? Yeah, I think, I think the, at first data, the individual I reported to you for four years. Although at the time, I didn't think he was a mentor because I think he was beating me up every day and caused me a lot of stress in my life. But as I look back on what I went through, I would say he had a meaningful impact on my career, my, my career in terms of my appreciation for discipline and getting into the weeds on the business and knowing the business inside and out. So I think. Although he was a mentor for just three or four years, whether he knew it or not, he was certainly one. But I think overall, as I was a young boy, I think when I was 19 or 20 years old, there was a public speaker. You, you may know this man, you may not. His name was Earl Nightingale. Oh, yes. Familiar with Earl. Earl is the godfather of all motivational speakers. And the cassette, back then it was eight-track cassette or cassettes. I used to sit in my car. And I, I listened to the, it was called the new leave the field. It was eight cassettes. I must've listened to that thing a thousand times. I knew it inside and out. And it became a religion for me throughout my entire career. And to this day, if I, if anybody had an impact on my life, it was listening to Earl Nightingale and the new leave the field, because it's not just about business, it's about being a person, about being a man and how to live your life. Earl was definitely the forerunner before Tony Robbins. And oh, <laughs> oh by a mile. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what are your tips for seeking out a mentor? You know, I think my tips are you look to people who, who you admire, right? You look to people who you admire, who have done things you want to do. Or you look to people who are doing things that you think you could never do, but you want to do. Also people that you have access to, right? I mean, sure, I'd love Warren Buffett as a mentor, but I know that's not going to happen. So are there people in your life that you are close to or you have, you're associated to that you can get to? But I think people who are doing things you want to do or even people things that you're not doing, but you'd love to do, or people that are doing things that you just think are 
so far out there and so not new. Those are the types of mentors I like because that's how you grow as a person. Uh, it's getting out your outside of your comfort level and just, and then just asking them, you know, asking them for some time every week or every month. Uh, I got several people that I've mentored over my life. I have several now and I can tell you uh, from my perspective, I love doing it. Well, what are some of the most important lessons you've learned in your career to date? I got a couple, I think, I think from a corporate, so. You know, I was a section 16 officer at, uh, at every or global cash access. I was on that New York stock exchange. I was a section 16 officer at card connect on the NASDAQ. I was a su successful entrepreneur. So I've got a pretty unique skill set, and I've been a successful entrepreneur and also very successful in the corporate world. In the corporate world, my biggest learning lesson I think has been, doesn't matter how hard you work there. You can put in an 80 hour a week, 100 hour a week, thinking about it 24 seven, as passionate as you possibly can. The e end of the day though, you are, you are going to be a number and you're not going to have full control of, of your, of your destiny. I can remember at Global Cash Access, you know, we went through three CEOs in a matter of three years. I think I personally believed I should have been named CEO at least one or two of those times. I wasn't, I was pigeonholed as a revenue guy. And, and that was a lesson learned. I mean, that was just who they saw me as. I was not seen as the CEO, even though I think everyone else probably did, but the board didn't. So the lesson learned there was you're ultimately not in control of your destiny at a corporation. And I think as an entrepreneur, the lesson learned is doesn't matter how hard things get, how down you get on yourself or how bad things look, you just have to persevere through those hard times. You got to just, you got to bite the bullet, find a way to win. And when you win, and you've heard this before, when you win and get past those days, when you look back and reflect, those times are the most valuable by a mile. Absolutely. Nothing is more valuable than those days. Good. Now, what aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Yeah, so... I always, I, I always say when I'm in a room, I'm never, the, I'm never the smartest guy in the room. I can tell you that right now. Never the smartest guy in the room. However, I like to think I have a, a quick twitch brain. I think very quickly. I'm in real time. I understand things. I kind of know what to do very quickly. And I think most importantly, I have a dog and a bone mentality. I'm going to go out and I am going to win. Hockey analogy, the puck goes in the corner. I'm coming out with it every time. And I think people got to know that about me is that I'll put in the work. I'll put in the time. I'm passionate about what I do. I'm always on 24 seven. I, I have a unique knack to think in real time, real quick. But the one thing I have is a dog and a bone mentality. So if you think you can beat me, go for it. As Mr. Rosen says, you have a determination. Right. <laughs> Can you share three actionable takeaways, for example, in leadership, work habits, lessons learned, whatever, with our listeners? Sure. So as a manager, um, I've spoken about this quite a bit. I've managed thousands of people. I think there may be some people out there who may not like me, 
but I think ultimately they all respect me because as a manager, I always believed I provide the tools for people to be successful because I want everybody who works with me or under me or around me to be successful. So I always believe that I've, I provide the people the tools and the guide and the path to be successful. If they've fallen down, we'll pick them up, mentor them, and show them the path to be successful. Now, if over time they fail, you got to make difficult decisions, right? Because you can't, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So we've made a lot of decisions where we've got to move on. But I think people will say about me is that I manage always having good intentions. I always have good intentions of whatever I do, and I want people to succeed. But at a certain point in time, you do have to cut bait and leave. So I think that's one takeaway is you should always have good intentions. Always do your best to maximize your people, get the most of them, because their success is your success. There's no question about that. And I think number two, I think number two is just from a leadership perspective, being disciplined in decision-making in a sense, I've seen this way too much where executives will waffle. They'll never make a decision. They'll always try to stay on the fence to, to not go in either way. And they're afraid to make decisive decisions. And I think people who report to other people are looking for leaders to be decisive. They look to them for to listen, to have their own point of view and then make decisive decisions. I think managers who waffle and don't make decisive decisions over the long term will fail. Now we move into our final segment. Okay. The lightning round bridges to excellence, inspired leadership in payments and FinTech. Scott, in this segment, I pose the question and you respond with a single word or one sentence. Okay. Okay. What is your greatest strength as an entrepreneur? Confident. What is the best advice you ever received? Never give up. Continue down the path. What one book would you recommend to our listeners and why? It's not a book. It's The New Lead the Field by Earl Nightingale. What is your favorite quote in leadership or otherwise that really inspires you? Oh, okay. That's an easier one. Earl Nightingale. Luck is when preparedness meets opportunity, and opportunity is always there. What is one thing the people you work with would be surprised to know? I think people, they'd be surprised at how sensitive I am to everybody's success. What does success mean to you? Success means to me, personal success is fine, but I want everybody around me to enjoy success and have the opportunity to succeed. But ultimately, my own success is just me being healthy with my family. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. What is one thing that has you pikered up right now? Passport technology, uh, we've spent so much time developing this business and there's so much opportunity ahead of us and it's all about execution now. So I'm just fired up about the potential for my team. Oh, we have covered a lot today. 
from your backstory to your role as chairman and founder and the rise to prominence of passport technology. Is there anything you haven't said you want to say or any final comment before we wrap up? I think it was a great, it was great seeing you again, Des. It's been a long time and no, just super, super excited, super stoked for all the entrepreneurs out there that are listening. I think entrepreneurship is tough. It's very different in these days with social media, everything else, but you know, I'm a big supporter of any entrepreneur and I'm also a big supporters of people who are trying to succeed in the corporate world. And I think those that can have a combination of both are going to have an advantage over their lifetime in business. But other than that, just super stoked about Passport's opportunity in the future and uh, real excited about 2023, 24 and the years beyond. Good. Scott, well, thank you for being on our show and to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And never forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. You've been listening to Bridges to Excellence podcast, inspired leadership in payments and fintech. Be sure to join us next time for more conversations with another of your colleagues in payments and fintech. Insightful conversations in their journey to excellence. For transcripts and other materials covered on the show, visit us at desmondnicholson.com.